Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Great Expectations, and I want to speak today about working in Great Expectations. Initially, I did want to call it the ABCs of working in Great Expectations, but I thought it's too many letters, but there will be an A, a B, and a C towards my three points. It will also be short, which works really well uh, with today, <laughs> and I never heard anyone complaining that a preach is too short, you know. That's one of the things I will never, anyone will ever complain. So it'll be short, it'll be straight to the point, and I'm sure we will... Uh, really, really be blessed. I want to speak about working in great expectations. I want us to look at God, and I want us to look at Satan, and then at Jesus' life. It will be the same circumstances that Jesus went through, but different expectations from both God or Satan. They both look at Jesus, they both look at the same circumstances, but they anticipate different things. Our expectations will change depending on the people we surround ourselves with. When I was in Romania, I had different type of expectations because of the people that I surrounded myself with. And while I was thinking about this message this morning, I thought, yes, when you are part of a great group of people, your expectations are greater. You believe more. That's why we know that, for example, children who grow up in abusive families, they don't even dare to dream. They don't have this freedom or this safety to say, yes, I want to do something with my life. I have these great expectations. Not because they're in an abusive family. But when you are in a good family and the parents love and they're there for you, your kids will ask you everything or anything, as you can see on those videos, because they trust you and they know it's safe. I can dream in this relationship. And for me, it was the same. Since I moved back in England, uh, it was like my expectations grew bigger and they were greater and greater, especially since I'm on the team at BCC. I'm surrounded by great people, and I'm not just saying because I'm preaching, but I am part of a great church. Therefore, my expectations, even from myself, are greater because I believe it is possible. I believe we can do it. I believe I can do it. And I believe that God is, has his hand, in our, his hand in our lives, in my life, in our church, and we'll see really, really great things. But today I want to look at three stages of Jesus' journey. And I'm going to read uh, a very well-known passage from Matthew 2. I'm just going to read it to not be on the slide, so we'll have to listen carefully to my accent as well. So, <laughs> so now, when, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, uh, we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written. So the reason he was born there is because it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may to come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child 
Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opened their treasures, they offered him gifts. And being worthy in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And then verse 19, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph this time, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who saw the child's life are dead. So, Jesus was just born, and my first point in Jesus' journey is anticipation. First point, anticipation. Satan had some anticipations from Jesus when he was born. He just came into the world, and Satan already had a plan. In the same time, God has some anticipations from Jesus as well. God, has, God as well had a plan from Jesus. It says there that God has decided that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Because Herod, when he found out from the wise men that there was another little child that was born that would sort of take his throne away from him, he was a bit jealous, he was troubled, so he asked his chief priest, so the most we found smartest people in the court, Say, what's that all about? And these guys show him that this is actually in the, what we have as Old Testament. We know King Herod is actually written that this is going to happen. So basically, do not be surprised. And in Micah 5, it, they're basically quoting this. You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, God speaking, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall... Therefore, <clears throat> He shall stand and shepherd his throat in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So Herod knew, and the chief priests knew, and the wise men knew that Jesus was born. It was told, it was planned by God way before the foundation of the world. And that Herod, in all his wisdom, decides to kill baby Jesus. Even if God already planned that this would happen. Even though the smartest people he knew told him this is actually a prophecy that is happening. Even if the wise men that came from different countries said, look, we've seen the star. This is actually happening. Even in all this, in the futility of his mind, he decides to somehow stop it. He decides to somehow interfere with God's plans. It's like seeing a train coming towards you and you stand in front of it and try to stop it. Like That's not a smart move. You just step away. And let the train run its course, because you cannot do anything about it. But Herod, because of his jealousy, he tried to kill baby Jesus. And I guess that Herod also didn't read Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. I guess he wasn't really reading his Bible back then. What about Isaiah 46, 10? God saying, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. God didn't say 94.19% of everything I plan will maybe come to pass. How much of what God plans will come to pass? Everything. Every single thing that God decides to happen, it will happen. Because this is the greatness of our God. What about 2 Samuel 7.28? Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Our Lord is a sovereign God. His promises are true and will stand forever. Okay, this is the greatness of our God again. And lastly, Psalm 145, 13. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Our God is faithful in everything he promises and he's kind in everything he does for us because he plans things for us and he has a future for us. Even more than this, he's on our side because God was actively involved in Jesus' birth and since he was a baby. Yes, the enemy will try to destroy our God-given dreams. That's his job. He's an enemy after all. But God is our biggest fan and he will support us all the way because the promises that God has for your lives will take place because God is actively involved in protecting us. He's there for us. And the enemy will try to make our journey difficult. But we know that we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. And because of the strength that we have from Christ, we're there. We have great expectations. Even though the anticipations that the enemy has from us is to destroy us, we put our faith in Jesus and we put our faith in God who's protecting us all the way. Because the promises that he has for our lives will happen. He's there. He's protecting us. God, God, it's not only that God's word and will stand forever, like no one can mess up with, it, mess with these things, not even Herod, not even Satan, but he's also, like in this case, was physically involved in telling the Magi and telling the, uh, whatever, the wise men and Joseph, do not go there because Herod wants to kill baby Jesus. And in this way, God preserved Jesus's, baby Jesus' life uh, since he was born. And who knows how many times God has preserved our lives. And I want to say that if God has a plan for your life, he'll preserve your life. And he'll be with you all the way, even if the enemy will try to attack you. Even if the anticipations and the plans that the enemy has are, are against you, God is for you. And God will always be there for us. So in our, in our journey in life as Jesus, there's an anticipation moment. Anticipation from the enemy, but also anticipation from God. And we will have to choose to put our faith in God. He knows what he's doing. He knows us. He knows what's going on in our lives. He'll always, always be there for us. What other kind of expectations can we have from such a great God? If we are in a relationship with a great God, our expectation can only, only be great because he is on our side and he'll always be with us. He himself will step in and protect you when you need it the most. And if it's hard and you feel attacked, God is there with you. And we know that eventually Herod dies and the angel says, guys, the, the path is clear. I have done something. We know that our enemy, Satan, is already defeated. So we're there. We're part of great relationships and we're there greatly because God is with us. And maybe some of you are at the start of an already painful journey. It's like coming out of nowhere. Why is it so painful? Why is it so hard? It's because the enemy has some anticipations for, for your life and they're basically to destroy and kill you because that's what an enemy does. But put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in God. Because he's got anticipations for your life as well. You are desired by God. You are desired by God. He wasn't surprised when all of a sudden your mom had a bump and there was a belly there. And God's like, whoa, what's with that belly right there? We didn't expect that pregnancy. God didn't say this. Calling the angels and he's like, oh, let's quickly sort out some promises for this child. Because we didn't expect the mother to be pregnant. God is not like this. You are planned. You are expected, you are desired, and God has promises and plans for your life. Yeah. Since you are in the, in the womb of your mom, even as Adam said last week, even if he may, didn't plan the girl, but God planned it. He knew, he knew it all along, and then surprise, Adam, pa-bam, you're going to have a daughter. <laughs> but God already has promises for his daughter. God already has promises for all the pregnancies in our, in our church, for everyone. Because God is not caught by surprise, even by pregnancies. 
you know, and yes, the enemy will try to stop us from fulfilling our God-given dream and from working in our great expectations, but God is with us, and he's not surprised by anything that's happening in our lives because he's in, in control of everything. Second stage is battle. So A, anticipation, B, battle. And that's, in a way, a hard one because until now, Satan tried to stop Jesus from developing and maturing, but this time, Satan will up his game a bit and he'll try to do even, even uh, more things to, to stop Jesus from, uh, from achieving his great potential. It says in uh, uh, Luke 4, verse 13, when, when the devil had ended every temptation, so we speak about the temptations in the desert, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Why would Satan tempt Jesus anyway? Like, why on earth would he try to stop Jesus or to tempt Jesus? Because he knew that Jesus had a mission. God knew when Jesus was to be born, where Jesus was, was to be born, why Jesus was in the world to save us, and yet Satan, in the futility of his mind, still tried to stop God's plan. And he still tried to attack Jesus. And he brought him in the wilderness, we know, for 40 days and nights he was tempted. So Jesus wasn't only tempted by the three temptations, he was tempted all the way along. But towards the end of those 40 days and nights, Satan brings the, all those temptations, and Jesus resists the temptations. So Jesus stands firm, and he, in the battle that he's engaged with Satan, he resists, and he, he, he's there. And it says that Satan departed. So after he finished, after 40 days and 40 nights of attacking and attacking, he finished, and it says he left, he departed, until an opportune time. What's that about? Why until an opportune time? Because the predators think like this. I will look for the right moment when my prey is weak, when my prey is isolated, and then I'm going to attack. He didn't know that Jesus is not just weak and feeble, but he still planned it like this. And when I was thinking about this, I, it reminded me of uh, Goliath and David. You know David and Goliath, the great battle, one of them is huge, one of them is just a child, it's a, a young teenager. And it says that Goliath had a sword, but he also had a spear. JJ, would you come here, please? I'm going to show you quickly what that's about. And we know that many times, actually, sometimes in the Bible, Goliath is a figure of Satan, and David is a figure of Jesus many times. And many scholars say that the spear that Goliath had, had a cord tightened to his wrist. Why is that? Because he was huge, first of all, and they couldn't really produce spears in mass for how big he was. And second thing was that he was a hunter as well, which, and a predator, and he was a warrior. So when he would throw the spear at his prey, if he misses, I'm going to miss now. If he misses, he's going to take his time and pull. Can you help me? <laughs> Thank you. I can leave it there. So again, going to pull his spear back until an opportune time, until the time comes back again. But if by any chance he was to hit the target, <laughs> then he's going to pull the target back and bring it to him and bring it to him and then destroy it completely. Thanks, JJ. And Satan works like this. Thanks, JJ, by the way. <laughs> and Satan attacks us like this. He waits for the opportune time. To attack us, and if he misses, which he does, because he's still alive, if he misses, he'll wait for another time, and another time, and another time. 
And Jesus' life was always like this. He, was only, he wasn't only tempted in the desert, but throughout all his life he was despised by people. He was what, beaten, spitten at, humiliated. Every, all, all his life Jesus was in a battle. And Satan tried to do everything he could to stop Jesus from walking in the great expectations that God had from him and to fulfill his mission on earth to save us. Now, that was an all or nothing type of situation. If by any chance, and it's a bit crazy to think this, but if Jesus would have given into the temptation, we would not be saved today. I'm just, I know it's impossible, but I'm just saying it. Okay? If Jesus would have been caught by Satan and pulled in and destroyed, we, would not have, we wouldn't have a Savior today. So what Jesus did, he resist, did was resist temptation, and he was strong. Because God was with him. And God had anticipations as well. It was only, it's not only that Satan brought the battle in and tried to destroy. But God was there with Jesus as well. The enemy will attack us because he doesn't want us to live out the great expectations that God has for our lives. He will do it. Like, don't be surprised. I, I, I always use this example. If I go in a war zone and there's the enemy shooting at me, I'm not coming to complain to Pastor Mark. They're shooting at me. But hello, it's the enemy. Of course it does. If the enemy doesn't attack you or if life is too easy, it means that you're sort of doing what he wants. Because if the enemy attacks us, it means we're on the right way. We're walking the great expectation that God has for us. And if we're more than this, when the enemy attacks us, James 2 says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, trials make us stronger. Hard and difficult times are confirmation that our lives are aligned according to God's will. Hard and difficult times are a confirmation that our lives are aligned according to God's will. So when the enemy attacks us, he's actually bringing good news. First of all, I'm just confirming you're doing the right thing. You're doing what God wants you to do. That's good. Second thing, he helps us grow and develop. He makes me stronger. He makes me more mature. He makes me become complete. So welcome trials. Welcome battles. If you are in the battle stage in your life right now, be happy. Count it all joy. Because it's a confirmation that you are walking the great expectations God has for your life. And the enemy will make you stronger. If he doesn't know, but he's your personal trainer right now. He puts weights and weights. But you can push because God is on your side. God is doing it. He's there, having your back, supporting you. And he'll never, ever let you go. This is a good thing. The enemy is the bringer of good news when, he, when there's a battle, actually. He doesn't know it. He doesn't plan it like this. But it is, because we're becoming stronger, and God is on our side. That's why he waits at an opportune time. Well, let the opportune time come. Let them come, because otherwise I'll not be mature. Otherwise I'll not know more about God. I'll not experience God's power and God's strength and not be a strong Christian. So we should always, always welcome it because difficult times are opportunities to win battles and to become even stronger. That's, that's why we should always welcome them. When we go through the battle stage, you might see things from God's perspective. Satan's plan is to destroy, but God uses hard times to make us more mature and stronger because we know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things, even in the Greek, means also all things. So by all things, it means all things. So God is on your side. 
when, when you go through difficult times, do not, do not worry. Rejoice. Because these things will work together for your own good. You might not see it back right then, but then you look backwards, you look back in your past years, that it did make me stronger. And maybe right now you are in that situation. Just wait a, a while until you get out of it and say, yes, that was a good thing. I'm happy that I've been through that uh, situation. And my last point is culmination. That A was anticipation, B was battle, and third was culmination. And that's basically when Satan, after years and years of trying to destroy Jesus, he finally thought, I found the right plan. I know how I'm going to succeed in killing Jesus and stopping from saving the people. That's when we move forward towards the end of Jesus' life on earth. After years and years of trying to destroy Jesus, or at least to stop him, Satan had a brilliant idea, or at least that's what he thought. He would infiltrate in Jesus' group to Judas, one of his friends, one of his disciples. And then Judas was to bring soldiers to Jesus and arrest him. It was working quite well until now, because Judas did this, he did betray Jesus, the soldiers did come, and they did take Jesus in. They did take Jesus in. After that, they brought Jesus into a court, and he was falsely accused for things he never did. Again, it seemed, it seemed like the culmination of the plan of Satan was going according to how he planned. So it was going according to what he wanted. And Jesus was falsely accused, and the people said, you should crucify him. And Satan again, yes, it's working. Finally, after 30-something years of trying to destroy Jesus, it looks like I'm going to do it. It looks like I'm going to succeed. And then Jesus goes on that cross. They nail him to that cross. There's blood. He's sweating. He's spitting at, despised. And Satan is like, it's working. And Jesus breathed his last breath. And towards the end, one final breath. And Jesus dies. And that's when Satan, yes, my plan succeeded. I did what I wanted. I destroyed Jesus Christ. Or at least that's what he thought. That's what he thought. Because it says in Second Colossians, you who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our sins by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. And Satan thought that the cross was his plan. But the cross wasn't Satan's plan. The cross was God's plan. All way long, from eternity, God had planned that at the cross, it wasn't Jesus who was going to be defeated. It was death itself, because Jesus conquered that cross. And Satan thought it was his plan. He thought he's smart. He thought he did things. And he didn't know that God had planned all these things, even from eternity. And God was in control all way long. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. But that didn't catch God by surprise. Because even the betrayal of those closest to you cannot catch God by surprise. It will not mess up with the plans and promises that God has for your life. Yes, Jesus was wrongly accused. But not, not even the injustice you suffered in your life 
will stop the blessing that God has for your life. And because of Jesus' victory at the cross, we dare to have great expectations. God made us alive together with him and we have a secured eternal life. Jesus forgave all our sins and we are cleansed. Jesus canceled the record of death that stood against us. Therefore, we are free. The cross didn't defeat Jesus. The cross destroyed death. The cross humiliated Satan and humiliated his demons and put them to open shame. Your plans didn't succeed. God was in control all way long. And Satan didn't even think about it. He didn't even know it. Christ triumphed over Satan at that cross. Even when Satan thought that Jesus was dead, Jesus actually conquered him right there and then. Because Jesus is the Almighty One. Jesus is Alpha and Omega. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, our deliverer. He's faithful and true. He's our great priest. Jesus is holy. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Lord of all. Jesus is our mediator, our Messiah. He's the mighty one. Jesus is the one who sets you free. Jesus is our hope, our peace. He's our redeemer. He's our risen Lord. And he's alive today. He's the sacrifice for our sins. He's our savior, supreme creator over all. The door, the way, the word, the true vine. He is the truth. He's the victorious one. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, the prince of peace. When God starts something, he is certain of the outcome. So have faith and have courage, have great expectations, because whatever God has planned for our lives will come to pass. And when the enemy attacks us, when there's battles, when there's temptations, God is there for us. We'll go stronger. And whatever God has planned will happen. Because he does all that he pleases and all the promise he has for my life and for your life and for our church will happen no matter what. Because Satan thinks he's smart, but he's not. God is greater and Satan is defeated and God is always on our side. Amen.